mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, last week, police held another active shooter drill at Findlay High School. Chief James Mathias discusses the effort to protect students, not just in this type of incident, but also cases of swatting and the routine day-to-day school operations. Also this morning, lack of awareness won't affect turnout for tomorrow's special election, that's for sure, but there are some important changes that Hancock County voters need to know. It's the first thing people notice about you, so if your smile isn't bright and sparkly, you might be giving a less than impressive first impression. We'll explain. And happening around town, go flock yourself. The second annual Flock Walk to benefit cancer patient services is coming up soon. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, August 7th, 2023. Big news over the weekend. I don't know if you heard about this in case you hadn't already caught it. Uh, Certainly good news that everyone is okay, but uh, State Representative John Cross and his family uh, narrowly escaped uh, their burning home on uh, Saturday night. Uh, It happened. Their their home in Kenton uh, was uh, destroyed uh, by a a fire that started in the garage and... uh, Fortunately, everybody got out okay. Uh, Mr. Cross posting on social media yesterday, Christina Carson, Connor, Buckeye, and I, uh, that would be his wife, uh, his uh, boys, and the uh, family dog, Christina Carson, Connor, Buckeye, and I are very, very grateful for the love and prayers from the community and many friends near and far. We thank God we are all safe as well as our neighbors and first responders. And uh, he went on to say that the fire didn't win. We may have lost the house, the cars, and everything else, but the flags still fly and our spirit is still strong, uh, posting pictures of what remains of their home with the uh, American flags uh, flying outside the uh, the home. Uh, really uh, sad news, but good to know that everybody uh, is okay. That was uh, big. Some of the uh, pictures that I saw on social media posted by other media outlets and uh, witnesses uh in the neighborhood uh, showed a pretty devastating fire. So it's good to, to see that everybody is okay. And we reached out to uh, Mr. Cross yesterday via text message. He assured us that everybody was doing okay. And it's, again, one of those things that, uh, you know, you always say uh, things can be replaced, but lives can't. So the important thing is everybody is fine, but uh, still uh, just in shock uh, after and he said uh, he and the family just in shock, as you would imagine, after something like that. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that until it happens to you, I don't think you can really fully appreciate uh, just how shocking it is to the system. So uh, certainly thoughts and prayers uh, with Cross family. Uh, some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your... Monday morning started. How did you spend your weekend? The U.S. Coast Guard successfully located a missing boater. Uh, 25-year-old Charles Gregory was found drifting 12 miles offshore uh, off St. Augustine, Florida, in a partially submerged boat. According to the Miami Herald, he had been reported missing on Friday after launching from Lighthouse Park boat ramp. Uh, the day before. So he had launched on Thursday, reported missing on Friday. Over the weekend, he was uh, located floating 
uh, drifting 12 miles off the shore. A rogue wave hit the boat and knocked it over. A second wave came and knocked everything out of the boat. And he uh, had to tread water next to the boat because if he, he said if he got on, on, on the boat, it would sink. The um, boat was filled with water, and he faced challenges with circling sharks nearly for nearly two days until being rescued. Fortunately, he suffered no life-threatening injuries, although his leg muscles were atrophied, uh, causing difficulty in walking. Despite uh, watching numerous boats and planes pass by, he remained unnoticed until his rescue. His father expressed gratitude for the miraculous rescue, emphasizing the power of faith in such challenging circumstances so i don't know what you did with your weekend but it kind of pales by comparison doesn't it that's wow man drifting along in the ocean 12 miles offshore sharks circling around a sinking boat you got to think i'm a goner but uh thank goodness uh, he was uh he was rescued a couple of other uh, interesting stories here off the uh, newswire that caught my eye first thing you need to know this morning uh here is today's story that we have to be worried about it seems like every day we have to have uh, something to be worried about something to be fearful of and uh, this is it for today you know how a lot of plastic items you have in your home uh considered microwave safe it may actually say that on the stamped into the plastic this uh this container is microwave safe but just because it says that doesn't, you know, just because it won't explode or won't melt in the microwave does not necessarily make them uh, make them safe when it comes to human food consumption. Researchers at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln have found that microwaving containers uh, releases more than 4 million microplastic particles per square centimeter in just three minutes releases all of these nanoparticles into your food. Um, we eat When we eat specific foods, we are generally informed or have an idea about the number of calories, the amount of sugar, you know, the nutrient levels of our foods. So the lead author of this study for the University of Nebraska said, we believe it is equally important that we are fully aware of the number of plastic particles in our food. And uh, said that could uh, pose health hazards, particularly uh, for young children. So, careful microwaving your food in plastic containers. That's what we're worried about today. That's the latest thing that's going to kill us. So, I just want to pass that along because we got to know these things. Uh, this is interesting research. Speaking of uh, scientific research, from the file of Duh. A recent study has found that students, well, not just students, individuals, recent study has found that individuals who play with dogs on a regular basis showed lower stress levels and improved reasoning skills. So something to keep in mind as you're heading back to work on Monday, if you're stressed out this week, play with your dog. By the way, what's interesting about this study is they found that the benefits of playing with your dog last beyond just the immediate uh, time that you're playing with your dog. Benefits can last for a month or more. There is some evidence that these uh, benefits, lower stress levels, improved reasoning skills, may still exist six months later. 
according to Nancy Gee of Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU, dog ownership in their study is linked to a 33% drop in heart attack death risk compared to those who live alone. And, as it turns out, playing with us might be good for dogs as well. Uh, Ms. Gee said, we see the same benefits in dogs. Um, Dogs' oxytocin increases when they interact with a human. They are less likely to suffer health problems. So, it's good all the way around. And again, from the file of duh, that's something I think we all inherently knew. It is kind of nice, though, to have... Uh, actual measurable statistics on that. A, a scientific study that confirms, I think, what we already knew. So uh, we're getting toward the end of vacation season. Before long, the kid's going to be back in school and the window of opportunity to take a family vacation uh, is rapidly closing. Here's something the next time you travel. Would you consider getting on a plane and traveling without knowing where you're going. Apparently, this is a big thing now. Travel companies are offering mystery trips where all the planning is taken care of. Your flight, your hotel, everything is taken care of. The only kicker is they don't tell you where you're headed <laughs> until you get there. That's uh, There are actually a number of travel agencies that specialize in this. Journey... J-O-U-R-N-E-E is one of them. Uh, Guess Where Trips and The Vacation Hunt are all agencies that have embraced mystery trips. Typically, the way this works, an interested traveler will tell the company what kind of vacation they're looking at, uh, looking for, whether it's uh, relaxing in a spa or climbing a mountain, and then you'll receive a surprise itinerary and packing list. They'll tell you what you need to pack, at least... You won't be completely blind in this. You will not have to worry about getting there and not having packed any of the right stuff. They'll tell you what you need to pack. For an extra surprise, uh, it says avoid opening the itinerary until the day of travel. So you can you can learn uh, where you're going ahead of time, you know, right before you board, or you can find out where you're going when you land. It just kind of depends on how adventurous you are. I don't know. Would you do that? I think I might do that once. I I don't know. It sounds kind of interesting. Maybe you'd like to travel to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Why do I mention that? Well, because Grand Rapids is now, is once again, not, not now, once again, the best beer city in the U.S. Third year in a row. USA Today announced the three-peat on Friday as part of its 10 Best Reader's Choice 2023 Awards. The 10 Best Reader's Choice 2023 Awards. Uh, In announcing the award, USA Today writes, quote, The city's official Beer City Ale Trail lists more than 80 breweries in the surrounding area, and the local calendar is constantly filled with beer festivals, beer events, beer promotions, and the like. So Grand Rapids, Michigan, if you are a beer fan, is like, you know, the the be-all and end-all, apparently. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, you know, it's all, it's all well and good uh, to be 
you know, the top micropolitan city in the U.S. for 10 years running, but to be the best beer city <laughs> in the U.S. I think that's that's really uh, now that's an accomplishment. <laughs> I don't know which is more prestigious there, do you think? So definitely big news. Uh, all of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories you need to get your Monday morning started here. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The house of a Republican state representative is a complete loss after a fire Saturday evening. Ashley Bornanson with Owen and Affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus reports. Ohio House Representative John Cross shared photos to Facebook showing what's left of his family's home. Now this happened just past 9 o'clock in Kenton. The town's fire department says they received an initial call about a garage fire. Now it took crews around six hours to clear the scene and officials say everyone got out of the house safely. Crews are still trying to figure out how that fire started. I'm Ashley Bornanson. A suburban Columbus police officer is warning people about the dangers of a common street drug. Whitehall Deputy Chief Dan Kelso says marijuana is being laced with fentanyl. I know people will say, well, what's the big deal about marijuana? Well, we're finding marijuana laced with fentanyl, with other drugs. They're overdosing. Fentanyl is responsible for killing most people who overdose on illicit drugs, including cocaine and heroin. Well over 5,000 people per year die from overdosing in Ohio. The Ohio State Fair's Sale of Champions set records in eight categories yesterday. That includes $100,000 for the Grand Champion Barrow exhibited by Oksana Gossard of Allen County. In all, the sales totaled $547,000. $421,000 of that goes to 4-H programs to support youth agriculture. The rest goes to the winners. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Over the past uh, week and a half or so, we've been into this back-to-school mode because it won't be long before students will be back in class. And our cover story this morning, last week, the Findlay Police Department held another uh, active shooter drill at Findlay High School. And Chief James Mathias is with us this morning to talk about uh, the effort to uh, protect students. This is one component, but obviously it's not just uh, this type of incident, but also cases of swatting and then the routine day-to-day uh, school operations. And uh, Chief Mathias, thanks very much for uh, uh, joining us this morning. And by the way, congratulations on the new gig, so recently promoted uh, Chief of Police. So Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> so uh, talk a little bit about what goes into this uh, active shooter drill. Um most people will not uh, get the uh, chance to, you know, see this in action and what actually happens in the hallways as you uh, do one of these uh, live drills. So, what goes into that? What is it? What is it like? It's a lot of hours of preparation. Um, collaboratively with us, the fire department. Um, we also invite out sheriff's office, state highway patrol, uh, Hanco EMS. So there's a lot of moving pieces and parts. So it's not just one day it's it's a culmination of of everything that happens throughout the year and that Mm -hmm. um we take away from like you mentioned the swatting incidents that we had at family high school at liberty benton so there's pros and cons um that we look at for each incident and uh, where we can do better a lot of it's with communication but um you're right Uh, most people don't get to see the aspects of it but we're trying to get the public more aware by Mm -hmm. having media come out and Give yeah. a first-hand look of what's going on. And with you that. actually have individuals in the hallways with uh, simulated weapons uh, going room to room, sweeping the school. Yep. 
Um, there's some instances where there may not be an active shooter, um, but there's others that there, it's either an active situation or the situation may have been ended. But it's, all, it's up to that officer to determine how the appropriate response would be for each, each situation would be I, handled. I wonder how much of this is about uh, improving the response at this point versus reassuring the public uh, that you are on top of this? Um, I would say it's both. And that, um, I said we take great pride in that. We've, we've been training ever since Columbine happened. Uh, mm-hmm. We've improved our skills, our tactics, our overall response, our communications. We've put a lot of uh, money invested in it as far as uh, radio communications in each school system. Right. And, uh, and like I say, reassurance to the back end with all the public and that. Um, Liberty Benton was very well. Um, there was parents that wanted to get inside that school and grab their children, and mm-hmm. it wasn't deemed safe at the time. And same way with Finley yeah. High School, not to leave them out, but there was. it seemed like there was more parents right on top of the school because of the subdivisions and right. stuff. And, right, right. Um, and they, I guess that was their first one that since they've had since a, an actual bomb threat. Now. Well, so it, it puts it in light real yeah. quick. Well, and, and you know, we've been fortunate uh, that we have not had uh, an active shooter situation, knock wood. And Thank we God. know that no place is immune, certainly. So you have to prepare uh, for that. Uh, one of the lessons that we've learned over the past 20 years is that it can happen anywhere. Fortunately, it has not. However, we have had uh, multiple swatting incidents. So, uh, I, again, when you're uh, going through these drills, how much do you focus on the likely, the, the greater likelihood that it will not be inactive uh, shooter situation because that's a, and I know we've talked about this before. That's something that can turn tragic in a, in a split second. second. In a split yeah. second. Yep. And the the response has to be uh, the same, no matter if it is a swatting or if it's if it's not. So we treat each one as a as a real situation, and uh, until we deem that it's not, and then we can stand down some of our resources and yeah. reevaluate and, and go from there. Um, Finley City Schools has invested a lot of money as well in that for the safe defend and to have their um, equipment installed, which helps us on the back end, but it gives them the peace of mind that they do have a system in place where the staff uh, can be properly equipped if someone would come in and notification is that, like you said, that quick second alert to, yeah. to us, to all the other responding agencies to get us there quicker. And that's the biggest component is time. We can't beat time, but... Uh, um, each time there's there's more seconds, there could be a potential life or lives lost mm-hmm. in that, in those type of incidents. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's that's kind of interesting, we you talk about the fact that you're constantly improving the task, tactics and taking things away from, we've often compared the school shootings to like airplane crashes, where every time an airplane crashes, the FAA or the NTSB goes in and they figure out exactly what happened and how to prevent it from happening again. And same thing with all of these school incidents. Every time something like this happens, uh, law enforcement agencies pick it apart and say, what could have been done better and how can we incorporate that into a response? One of the things that I thought was interesting uh, about the Uvalde uh, incident uh, last year was the report that just... Days before, just a couple of weeks before uh, that happened, they had had a drill, and yet so many things went wrong in the response. So what do you take from that? Because it seems as though no matter how many 
times you drill it, no matter how many how much preparation, you just never know until it actually happens just how people are going to respond. Um, you got to look at each component of the team and that. So Uvalde was a breakdown from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, the, the leadership, um, even the, the officers on the front line and that. There were some officers that wanted to go in and they were held back by the upper um, command and that. Uh, mm-hmm. Communication, we've talked about that already. There's so many factors that go into it, but you have to look at each component and – um, our men and women are trained that you know you don't wait for your backup on that used to be the the goal back then is you'd form up in a team of four and you would go in and mm-hmm. you don't have the time anymore so it's it's every man and woman that that wears a shield that goes in and that no matter if you're a, a blue shirt a black shirt or a gray shirt it's you're all one team and that and on the back end you have fire and ems coming right behind you in yeah. those type of situations and it's it's a moving piece that, that has to be fluid in that, and communication is key in these type of events. You know, one of the other things that uh, people may not realize, and again, I know we've talked about it in the past, but it bears repeating, if for no other reason, the reassurance of, of parents and the, the community and, and so on, um, there is a great deal of information that, that law enforcement agencies have already gathered about the schools, the layouts of the schools, where the rooms are, what the you know the logistics of the uh, of things. So you kind of are able to map all of this stuff out uh, in advance. And as you alluded to, it's not just the Findlay City Schools. This is one of those all hands on deck type of situations. Should it ever happen? Correct. Yeah. Um, back in the day, Chief Horn um, he put out basically an order that uh, officers should be going into our schools and that learning layouts, learning. Uh, the staff, the children, getting be more interactive with each. But it also goes to churches, businesses. I mean, we have several major corporations, so it's not just the Finley City Schools. It's um, we obviously have St. Mike's. We got Finley Digital mm-hmm. Academy. We got a couple colleges. So I mean, um, we're aware of that. But uh, the plans that we have in place, um, part of our web-based training, we used to have books. I should have brought one in with you to show you, but <laughs> as, it was called a field operation guide or a fog book, and that. So each. Each patrol car, each ambulance, each fire truck has those older books and that. Now it's a web base. We're, we're through Stratasite, um, a local, basically a local base company in that. And uh, what a great addition to that piece of the puzzle and that where we can move things around and that and rally points and different things that, that we can move on a fly and stuff, yeah. close roads and just assign personnel. So the fog book was just a, a map or a layer in that, and this is more of an interactive map and in that where we can be more inclusive in that to, to yeah. the whole situation. So uh, when you go through the these uh, trainings, like the one that was uh, held last week, and understanding that you never really are 100% sure that you are 100% prepared, are you as sure as you can be reasonably that, if something like this, God forbid, were to happen, that you would be prepared and that not just the Finley Police Department, but all of the area entities would be prepared to carry out their role? Yeah, I'm uh, very confident, and especially our goals uh, for the Finley Police Department, as well as the other responding agencies. It was very well-coordinated effort on both swatting calls and that we did have some communication um, breakdowns um, on the first one with Finley High School, and that was more on our end with uh, with dispatch. But uh, we've corrected that problem. But uh, those are the 
the things that you have to take away from each incident. But uh, And that's the point. It is and exactly it. Point. And you keep seeing state patrol car after state patrol car respond to Liberty Button. you got a good feeling that it's not just a collaborative issue within Hancock County. There was mm-hmm. troopers coming from multiple counties away in that. Yeah. And, and uh, it was very good to see. I mean, in, in hindsight, we should have called them back just a little bit because – um, the initial call was there was nobody hurt in either one, and that's the hardest part of those swattings is you can't control that call coming in. And, mm-hmm. But uh, with one call, with both instances, we kind of realized that you don't have a tragedy on your hand. Usually it's overloading dispatch with multiple calls and that where they can't keep up. And and how big of a challenge does this present in the, in the sense that, I mean, we spend all of this time, we talk about active shooters, we talk about swatting incidents, and obviously those are the most serious things, uh, some of the most serious things uh, that can happen, but we haven't even begun to scratch the surface on the day-to-day uh, issues drugs in schools a generation of my generation that was the biggest thing drugs in schools we're, you know we were worried about yeah. you know we we focus so much and we spend so much time talking about this and thinking about this and preparing for this how do you make sure that you aren't forgetting about those other day-to-day issues those other day-to-day threats that students can face in schools yeah. um we work very well with uh i say finley's uh security team they have a a good security team on on hand at the high school and then they rotate some of that staff around to the other what 11 buildings that they have so mm-hmm. i mean that is just so much for us to accomplish but uh we try and do our part as far as everyday tasks doing some extra patrols getting officers within the buildings but uh being vigilant like i say it's a it's a year-long process for the active shooter part and stuff so we don't take that for granted and just want to put all of our efforts into having good quality training and stuff and if god forbid if something like that happens that we are ready for those type of incidents and the men and women that we have on our force um you see that each and every day and that i'm so proud of each and every one of them again uh, chief james matthias with us the uh, finley police department last week just uh, completing another active shooter drill at uh, finley high school as we prepare for back to school in every way imaginable this unfortunately day and day and age we live in this is one of those uh ways of uh, preparation for uh, the kids to come back to class uh chief matthias thanks very much for dropping by we appreciate it thanks for having me i appreciate it very much Well, if people don't get out and vote in this month's special election, it won't be for lack of awareness, that's for sure. Speaking this morning with Jody O'Brien of the Hancock County Board of Elections. And Jody, historically, turnout for a special August election has been very low. But I'm wondering, given the significance of the issue to be decided and all of the attention that this has garnered on both sides, what has been the demand thus far in terms of early voting, requests for absentee ballots. I mean, is this uh, a greater early turnout than you would normally expect or about the same? Oh, absolutely. Last August, we if you remember, we had a special election. And um, for the absentee people that voted last August, we had 658. Mm-hmm. This year, so far, we've had 5,382. Wow. Wow. I mean, that sounds like uh, something that would be more on par with a general uh, election or something like that. Well, it's 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 very heavy for an August yeah. election. Yeah. Actually, last August, the total number of people that voted 
entirely was 3,168. Wow. Yeah. So we've already gone past that. Uh, and that's just, just the absentee. Yeah, just the uh, absentee and early voting, that sort of. Now, for those who are planning to vote in person on Election Day, it is important to note that there are some polling location changes. Some will be different for this election only, and then others are permanent changes that take effect with this election. First off, what are the ones that are different specifically for this election? Um, Because of remodeling at two churches, Stonebridge um, Church is remodeling, and those people that usually vote at Stonebridge will go to the Old Mill Stream Center at the fairgrounds. Okay. And then um, Gateway uh, Church is also remodeling, which is the Liberty Benton Township people, Mm -hmm. and they will be going to the Agricultural Center on 140. And then it looks like there are five precincts that will have new permanent uh, polling places beginning with this special election. Um, Yeah, well... So far, yeah. So far, we think. <laughs> so far, okay. <laughs> it's not written in stone yet. So I see. Put it that way. But yes, the Eagle Township is going to be voting with the Union Township people at the Ross and Gospel Fellowship Church. Okay. And then Orange Township will be voting at Van Buren Township um, at the Janeira Community Center. Okay. Um. Then uh, Amanda Jackson and Delaware are voting together at the Van Lu Community Park mm-hmm. um, building. Um, that's not, com- uh, we don't know if that's going to be a permanent move. I or see. Not I see. Uh, and then I think uh, the website said uh, Big Lick Township also has a Big uh, Lick. new lick. Yeah, Big Lick will be moving into. Um, Washington Township and Cass Township, and they voted the Arcadia Community okay. Center. Uh, now, I can I can hear the conspiracy theorists now saying that you're just trying to make it harder for people to vote. So let's kind of nip that in the bud. As you mentioned, some of those temporary uh, changes was because the regular polling place is doing some remodeling. What are some of the reasons why a polling place might be changed permanently? Um, well, the Secretary of State has come down to tell us to maybe try to combine some of the polling locations. I see. So that um, for safety reasons, also for delivery of machine reasons, mm. um, and also um, it just is going to um, make it easier. We will still have the same amount of poll workers working. Mm-hmm. But um, if you know how we vote, and we have an electronic voting machine, and if that happens to go, if the machines go down Ah. or the electronic poll book goes down, and it's a single precinct, Mm -hmm. then we have to run out really quickly and get everything changed around. If they are together with another precinct or two two precincts together, then they can use each other's um, equipment. And so... Yeah, it's for safety, really and truly, for the voting, so we don't have to shut the voting down. Yeah, we and, can keep going on with the voting. And I would imagine it's just got to be a whole lot easier uh, all the way around. In so many ways, to have fewer locations to have to worry about. Yes, extremely so. Uh, because it's not like you've got a, a huge uh, staff size uh, that that you know you uh, operate with. You've got the uh, volunteers and a handful of people there, and that's pretty much it. 
Right. And it's much easier on election day when we, we have what we call rovers to go out and fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier for them to go out to just maybe one location instead of having to run from Fostoria clear to almost to Boston. Yeah. And back and forth. Yeah. So. A lot of ground to cover. Now, with respect to those changes in voting locations that we were mentioning, those who are affected by uh, a change should have received a card in the mail informing them of that. But just in case... You do have all of that information uh, posted on your website, right? Yes, yes. www.hancockcountyohioelections.gov. Okay. Uh, anything else that people need to know uh, ahead of Election Day itself? Polls are open from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. And like we said, Quite a few people have already voted early. All right. Very good. Uh, <laughs> it should be uh, interesting to see what the turnout actually is. Again, uh, certainly to this point, looks like it's going to be much higher than what you would normally think of for an, an August special election. Again, Jody O'Brien of the Hancock County Board of Elections. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Well, it is the first thing that most people notice about you, your smile. So if it is not bright and sparkly, you may be giving a less than impressive first impression. But not to worry, because our next guest is going to help with that. Dr. Chris Strandberg is a board-certified dentist and spokesperson for Waterpick. And if the name sounds familiar, you are actually a contestant on The Bachelorette once upon a time. So you certainly know the importance of making a good first impression. (laughs) Yes, I do. Absolutely. And if you're in the dating market, it's essential to keep your smile in tip-top shape. So what are your top tips to uh, achieving that uh, bright, healthy smile? Uh, There's two important top tips that I like to emphasize. Number one, you want to minimize snacking on starchy and acidic foods and drinks because these can promote acid buildup and actually dissolve your tooth surfaces. And the more frequently you snack, the higher your risk of cavities. The other thing is we know we're supposed to be brushing twice a day and flossing once a day, but I recommend using an electric toothbrush and adding in a water flosser to your routine because this is going to give you a consistently excellent whole mouth clean that's more thorough and it's going to help you elevate your oral health. How so? Kind of explain the benefits uh, here of the electric uh, toothbrush, and uh, you know, rather than just the rather than just using the the old manual uh, toothbrush and the regular floss that we're familiar with. An electric toothbrush is a fantastic device. I know some people prefer to use a manual, and that's ultimately a personal decision. But an electric toothbrush is more effective. It's more effective at removing plaque, and that's essential because plaque can lead to certain dental diseases. So by using an electric toothbrush, you minimize your risk of gingivitis, you minimize bad breath, and you reduce your risk of getting cavities. And the nice thing about electric toothbrush too is it does the brushing and cleaning motions for you. So you basically just have to glide the toothbrush across your tooth surfaces, and you get a consistently higher level of clean with less effort. And when I recommend my patients switch to an electric toothbrush, The next time I see them at their dental checkup, I can see a difference in improvement in their gum health and more removal of plaque and stain. And they tell me that it's easier to use that way too. So if you are interested, there are a lot of different electric toothbrush models out there. So you can find one that 
meets your needs and goals. Now, obviously, uh, there is one that you would recommend over the others. Which and why? Yeah. My new favorite electric toothbrush and the one that I'm using at home is called the Sensonic Electric Toothbrush by Waterpick. So Waterpick has been making top-quality water flossers for decades, but they just launched the new Sensonic Electric Toothbrush. And I like it because I can see and feel a deeper level of clean. And the reason for that is because it uses Sonic bristle technology, and it has a special bristle pattern that hugs the natural contour of teeth and really cleans out and removes debris and plaque bacteria. And what that serves to do is it reduces your risk of gingivitis, it reduces bad breath, and it minimizes your risk of tooth decay. And they've actually done clinical study on this and found the Sensonic removes up to four times more plaque bacteria than using a manual brush. And that's part of why it's been accepted by the American Dental Association for safety and effectiveness. Now, one of the other things, especially in the past few years, there's been a huge emphasis placed on having whiter teeth. I know some people have teeth that are so white you almost need sunglasses when they smile. First off, is there a functional difference or any medical or dental benefit to having pearly whites that are, in fact, pearly white? Or is this simply a cosmetic thing? That's a great question. And brighter, whiter teeth generally are healthier. People do have a variation in their natural tooth color, but you want to get yours the brightest, not just for cosmetic reasons, but for health reasons. So, for example, a lot of the time our teeth get dark because we're eating and drinking staining foods or because there's a level of yellow plaque film that's accumulated on our teeth, and that is definitely not healthy. So to improve and get a wider, brighter smile, as well as one that's healthier, I would recommend two things, and they're both focusing on prevention. So number one, minimize stain-causing foods and drinks. And a lot of those are our favorite foods and drinks, so coffee, tea, Mm -hmm. red wine, even berries can stain your teeth. But you don't have to eliminate them entirely. I just recommend limiting contact time. So for example, I drink coffee every morning, but I don't sip it over long periods of time because that would allow these stain-causing elements to soak in. Uh Also, if you're sipping, yeah, if you're sipping starchy foods, especially if you have milk inside the coffee, then that can also increase your risk of cavities. So keeping that in mind. The other thing is by having an excellent oral care routine, oral hygiene routine, that's going to help keep your teeth not only brighter and whiter, but also healthier. So again, using that electric toothbrush and then adding in a water flosser, which is a high-pressure stream of water that actually washes away these stain-causing elements, and it washes away yellow plaque. And plaque contains bacteria that can lead to disease. So by using a water flosser, you get in between teeth, on the surfaces of teeth, and below the gum line. You're removing the stain, but you're also removing harmful plaque bacteria, and that's going to give you a brighter smile and a healthier smile. So uh, if you're doing these things, do you kind of eliminate the need for like those over-the-counter teeth whiteners? Because I wonder, do they work and are they safe? There are so many different over-the-counter teeth whiteners out there. I can't say that they're all effective and that they're all safe. But in general, they can provide a boost of brightness. 
um, to your teeth. So I would recommend talking to your dentist if okay. you have any question about the over-the-counter brighteners. Okay. But it's not to say that they're bad. I mean, I've used them before. I recommend them to my patients as well. But I always like to emphasize this brightening that you get is going to be very temporary if you're not doing the elements of mm. prevention like limiting those stain-causing foods and adding in a water flosser, an electric toothbrush to really remove the stain on a daily basis. So a really important uh, distinction there. Again, Dr. Chris Strandberg with us this morning. Dr. Strandberg, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Great to be with you today. Thank you. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Sometimes you don't have to go very far to uh, find the broken news. This is a story out of Toledo where a teenage uh, suspect who Toledo police say crashed a stolen vehicle is scheduled to appear uh, scheduled to appear in court today. Um, this is why, this is why this caught my eye. Uh, for the broken news, according to reports, officers tried to pull over 18-year-old uh, Yaramir Lopez over, uh, tried to pull him over on Saturday morning for a traffic violation, but Mr. Lopez fled the scene. Police say he was uh, speeding and driving recklessly before crashing and rolling the vehicle. The owner, and it wasn't his vehicle, the owner of the vehicle later told cops that they were out of town on vacation and that no one had permission to take the minivan. How would you like to get that call while you're on vacation from the police that your minivan has been stolen and rolled? (laughs) That would be a rather disturbing call to get. And by the way, why did you jack a minivan of all things? I mean, it's not uh, not the best vehicle. To engage police in a high-speed chase, uh, and that's, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine getting that call. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a homeowner in Atlanta by the name of Ever, uh, Everett uh, Tripodis, 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 T-R-I-P-O-D-I-S, Everett Tripodis, uh, claims that the city demolished his home by mistake. Now that is a big oops. The official demolition was supposed to be for a house um, about a mile and a half away. So how they got confused with this guy's home, um, well, it's actually understandable. The house was on Lawton Avenue, and uh, Mr. Trebotis's home is on Lawson, uh, Lawton Street. So they're supposed to go to Lawton Avenue, they went to Lawton Street, and... They demolished the wrong house. Uh, Mr. Tripodis recently received a letter from the city, which he assumed was some sort of compensation for the error, but instead it turned out to be something that added insult to injury. Uh, He said, I opened up the letter and realized that they were suing me. The city was suing him. He is being asked to pay... $68,000 for demolition costs. (laughs) And the city is threatening to foreclose on the property if he doesn't pay up. Now that's, I mean, it's one thing to demolish a guy's home by mistake, but then to bill him for it. (laughs) Uh, 
Mr. Tripodis says, I am not going to let the city get away with this. I'm going to fight them tooth and nail. The mayor's office said that they are researching the situation. I would hope so. I would hope that maybe you, you'd you research the situation a little bit there. <laughs> you knock down the wrong home and then bill the homeowner for... Oh, man. <clears throat> that is adding insult to injury right there. Uh, here is our dumb criminal of the day. Comes from New York, where six individuals, so it's dumb criminals, plural... Uh, Six individuals have been convicted of stealing more than $3 million in cash, cars, and other merchandise, according to State Attorney General Letitia James. Uh, Attorney General James announced that the thieves were responsible for over 200 burglaries of car dealerships, uh, retail stores, ATMs, and so on. The culprits were caught because they posted themselves on social media Minutes after the crimes were committed, which allowed investigators to link the images of the stolen items with the crimes themselves. So once again, undone by social media. (laughs) Because the cops, they can't, they don't use Facebook. Oh, yes, they do. Some of the photos posted to social media included the interiors of uh, stolen cars and large amounts of cash. The only question I have in this uh, whole thing, I mean, it's really stupid to the criminals, but if they were posting the pictures of the stuff they stole minutes after the robberies, why did it take more than 200 burglaries before the the cops got wise? Uh, I mean, after the first few ones, they probably thought, well, the cops aren't on Facebook. Anyway, but eventually they were caught. And we will be held accountable. Uh, Let's see. What else is going on here? How about this? Speaking of uh, robberies, a a Florida chiropractor knew that someone had broken into his office when his homemade coconut pie was missing. (laughs) Uh, The uh, chiropractor went into work on Tuesday only to discover that his treat was gone Uh, Kent Messer says, I'm a simple guy. I just wanted to get to the office, get my slice of pie, and go about my business, my day. But he got to the office and he noticed the pie was missing. That was the first thing he noticed, and then he realized that other items had been stolen, including uh, office equipment and medical uh, equipment, valued at $1,500. But it was the pie that tipped him off. If the thief is is found, uh, police say they will be charged with uh, burglary and um, I don't know whether they'll add an extra count for stealing the pie or not. (laughs) Undone by coconut pie. Um, This is weird. Um, You know, it's been very much in the news, uh, people smuggling humans over the uh, southern border, the U.S. It's a terrible situation in the southern border. Uh, Texas Border Patrol, it's not just humans, as it turns out. Texas Border Patrol said they caught someone trying to smuggle a backpack full of monkeys into the country. Yes, that's right, a backpack full of monkeys. Border Patrol agents in Brownsville said Thursday that someone tried to sneak seven South American spider monkeys 
across the border at Fort Brown by hiding them inside a backpack on face. <laughs> they not think that the monkeys wouldn't make any noise or be, I mean, how did they? Uh, anyway, um, the agency called the spider monkeys critically endangered animals and said the owner of the backpack has been arrested for wildlife smuggling. The monkeys have been turned over to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife for relocation. The monkeys trying to get out of Mexico. Apparently. Uh, let's see. Speaking of monkeys, in the monkey forest in Bali, a fearless tourist named uh, Jovita Copage uh, went to snap a selfie with a friendly looking monkey. Uh, little did she know, the mischievous primate had other ideas. In a flash, the. Cra- the crafty monkey swiped her purse from her hands, leaving her stunned. With her sister recording the hilarious theft, Jovita attempted to reclaim her purse, but the me- the monkey then bared its teeth and said, I ain't giving it back. Uh, eventually, she was able to snatch back her, f- her purse. Um, she later shared the comical video on Instagram, confessing that her main concern was not the purse itself, but what was inside. The epic monkey heist became her go-to response for anyone questioning her critical thinking skills. Um, beware the monkey selfies. You might just lose your belongings because these uh, these little thieves are clever. <laughs> it's like taking a picture with a, you know just a random person that you don't know they could steal. Or just, monkeys do the same, apparently. At least in Bali. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... A uh, story of LCU taking on LCU, but not in not on a, a field of athletic competition. Uh, this battle could be taking place in a courtroom. Louisiana College began using its trade name of U- Louisiana Christian University and its LCU initials in November of 2021. They changed their name to Louisiana Christian University and go by LCU. Well, that didn't sit too well with the president of Lubbock Christian University in Texas, who told the president of Louisiana's LCU that the use of the LCU acronym encroaches on Lubbock Christian's trademark protected property. Louisiana Christian filed a motion in U.S. District Court asking to determine if the school is committing trademark infringement with the use of the LCU acronym. Lubbock Christian has an August 31st deadline to submit its response. I'm wondering if uh, if this if they rule in favor and and say that LCU there's only one LCU does that mean uh, OSU is going to sue Oklahoma State? You know if Ohio State could sue Oklahoma State or Oregon State or I mean they go they use the OSU uh, acronym is that going to be uh, considered protected as well? I don't know. Stay tuned. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. 
WFIN has the final tune-up for the Finley Trojans on Thursday night as they scrimmage Wayne High School. This is Tim Montgomery. Join me and Coach Cliff Height as we bring you all the action live from Donnell Stadium starting at 6 p.m. Then get set for another exciting season of Trojans football with the opener on Friday, August 18th with Toledo Central Catholic. The Trojans play here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Would you consider yourself, would you say that you have a a sweet tooth? According to a new survey, 5,000 Americans split evenly by state. So you had a, what, 100 uh, in every state. So 5,000 Americans. Uh, Residents of Tennessee are most likely to eat dessert every day. Meanwhile, in Washington state, 83% of people consider themselves to be dessert people. Uh, 83% say they are a dessert person. So those are the two top states in the way they uh, framed the question. Uh, This, by the way, is a survey commissioned by the Crumble Cookies Company. Uh, They found that residents of Colorado, Louisiana, and North Carolina have the biggest sweet tooth when they have sweets, uh, they indulge the most and the most often. Americans' favorite cookie, according to the survey, chocolate chip, no big surprise. Peanut butter cookies are second. Double chocolate cookies are third. Uh, Let's see here. The biggest cookie experts in the country, according to their own... uh, Assessment of their own uh, cookie expertness. Uh, Georgians, 44% of those in Georgia consider themselves cookie experts. But this was kind of interesting. The average American says that they eat just under 200 cookies per year. I've never really thought about it, but, you know, that's what, one about every weekday? So, yeah, the average American says they eat just under 200 cookies per year, and typically... And again, this is uh, the really interesting thing. Uh, we typically get a sweet craving. We hit that, those cravings hit for something sweet at 2.30 p.m. on average. 2.30 in the afternoon is when the, the cravings hit. Well, believe it or not, here in another month or so, it'll be time to go flock yourself, so to speak. Uh, joining us this morning with details on next month's second annual Flock Walk to benefit Cancer Patient Services is Donor Engagement Director Mackenzie Wagner. Mackenzie, thanks very much for uh, dropping by this morning. Yeah, we appreciate for it. Me. This is uh, this is the, the kind of the big uh, event. I know the the chili cookoff for many many years was uh, the thing for Cancer Patient Services, and uh, decided to retire that a couple of years ago. Do something a little bit different, and the Flock Walk is it. So explain where this comes from yeah so a couple years back we decided to kind of take uh the flamingo as our unofficial mascot if you will and we started putting uh flocks of flamingos in people's yards as a summer fundraiser and uh then after you know COVID and everything we decided to move forward with uh really taking over the flamingo if you will and Mm -hmm. decided to move forward with the flock walk we're the only uh cancer walk in town so um seemed like a good opportunity last year to kick it off it was a super successful 
event, and we're really excited to bring it back this September 9th. So uh, September 9th is the date, yes. uh, but uh, folks can sign up now, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Registration is open. You can go on our website, cancerpatientservices.org, or hop over to our Facebook page um, for all the details. Like we said, September 9th, we'll be back at the University of Finley Kaler Center. And big news, this year we're adding a 5K, so walkers and runners alike are being able to participate in the flock walk. So uh, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, give us all of the details here on what the flock walk includes, what it entails. Sure. So it is a family-friendly event. Um, we will have inflatables, yard games. There will be basket raffles, visa card raffles. Um, so there will be a lot of things going on. Uh, in the beginning of the morning, we will have a survivor breakfast, the first 65 survivors actually get a free breakfast, and they're welcome to bring a guest with them for an initial $15. Very cool. Very cool. And then we ask those survivors to um, take a moment at the beginning of the walk and run to kick off our survivor lap. So they're going to be actually taking the first lap around um, the indoor track in Kaler. The run and walk is outside. But it's a really special time for families and friends to kind of reflect on one another's cancer journey and just how far they've come. And we also take a moment of silence for the people that we have lost. So um, we're really excited to be back at the University of Finley and have our presenting sponsors back as well, Hancock Federal Credit Union and Blanchard Valley Health Services. So this uh, obviously uh, a huge fundraiser uh, for cancer patient services. And your what what you do, what CPS does uh, for those in the community is is unique uh, among, I mean, it seems like every uh, form of cancer has their own advocacy group, which is great, but CPS kind of takes everything under you know, one big umbrella to fill all of those other gaps. Yeah, so our agency offers uh, what we like to call wraparound services, so the things that insurance really doesn't help cover. So we offer things like uh, you know, medical supplies and equipment. We offer nutritional supplements, counseling services. Um, we offer financial reimbursement on mileage, prescription, uh, things like that. We also have a full-time patient navigator that helps you, you know, sort through bills, uh, deal with insurance, maybe apply for a social security disability kind of thing. So, you know, really we're here to help, you know, just lessen the stress of a cancer diagnosis for someone in their family. Yeah, I if you know someone who has gone through this and just about everybody knows someone who has been touched by cancer, it's a, an unbelievably huge mountain of little things that are involved that you had no idea were going to be a part of it, you know, when you first get the, the diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of people don't realize that um, how quickly things can add up and that yeah. it seems so confusing. You know, everyone's dealt with and, you know, some insurance and some medical bills in their lives. Mm -hmm. And when you're going through, you know, such a, um, you know, deep journey with your family, I think it can be really overwhelming to get all those bills and to have all these, in, you know, insurance yeah. letters and everything there else. Are, yeah, there are things that you're prepared for, the, the things that you expect, but you know, the, some of the equipment that you may need, or like you said, the reimbursement for the travel that uh, is involved that maybe you didn't realize, you know, that you're going to be involved with doctors and hospitals and everything, but the extent of it is, is just 
overwhelming and it gets there very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, we just want people to be able to focus on, you know, feeling better going through their treatment. And so if we can lessen the burden of something else so they can just focus on, you know, trying to feel their best, then that's what we're here to do. So the Flock Walk is, again, one of the major ways that you help fund those operations. And if folks want to sign up, again, the date is September the 9th, right? Yep. Uh, So if somebody wants to sign up uh, and be a part of this, how do they go about doing it? Yeah, you can go ahead and either visit our website, cancerpatientservices.org, or hop onto our Facebook. We have all sorts of uh, event notices there, so you'll be sure to find our registration page and go ahead and get your family and friends signed up. And as you alluded to, the Flock Walk itself uh, is sort of an evolution of the flockings that you do primarily throughout the summer, but I guess you could pretty much do it any time, right? Yeah, we can do it pretty much any time. Um, I will <laughs> say in the winter, the ground is pretty hard, so it might be hard to stick our <laughs> flamingos in the ground. But Unless there was a lot of snow cover, you could stick maybe, it in the snow. Maybe, yeah. Um, but uh, if, now talk about what, what this is and, and how this works. Yeah, so we still are offering our flamingo flockings at this point. Um, basically, you got to be careful with that. Um, we just go ahead and call <laughs> yeah, our office. Absolutely, yep. it is. It is the radio. We are. Uh, yep. Yeah, you got to really be careful about that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> anywho, you can go ahead and either pop onto our website. There is a form you can fill out online. Um, and one of our office people will get with you, um, or you can just call our office, and we'll make sure that we get the flamingos in a loved one's yard. So you can actually uh, have the lovely pink flamingos uh, placed in someone's yard. For yes, a absolutely. Small so family, friends, anniversaries, <laughs> birthdays, businesses—you name it—we'll put them there. So. <laughs> uh, and do you personally get the? Uh, job of going out and, and yes. doing the flocking you will, you will get the donor engagement director in donor your yard director yes does. you will now, here's the question that i have to ask when you got the job and you're interviewing for the job did they tell you that this is one of the things that you'll be doing well lucky, or did they save that little tidbit of information for later lucky for me i actually interned for three years ahead of <laughs> signing on full-time so i actually knew it was so, was a part of the game because so i was previously doing it so yeah yeah so i knew it was what there. you were getting into. I there. did. I did. Yep. Yep. Um, Me and again. 12 flamingos. <laughs> uh, so if you would like to flock someone, uh, you can do that as well. But again, the uh, the flock walk is the uh, big thing. It's coming up next month, and we've got a link up on our webpage at goodmornings.net for more information, along with more info about everything that Cancer Patient Services does. Because again, um, everybody knows somebody who's been touched by cancer. If, if you know someone who is feeling a little overwhelmed, that's what you're there for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so goodmornings.net for more information on that. Again, CPS Donor Engagement Director Mackenzie Wagner with us uh, this morning. Mackenzie, thanks very much for dropping by. We yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, goodmornings.net. So check us out there. Also connect with us on social media. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. It's all at goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.